0: I'm angry. I'm disappointed. Um, it is uh, incredible that uh, this would happen. You know, we were uh, we believe on the verge of winning this leadership. Patrick Brown there talking about his disqualification late last night from the conservative leadership race due to quote uh, serious irregularities. Alberta is swimming in a big budget surplus, so what should be done about it? Inflation rebates are being extended in the province as well. Is it making a difference? And what are 2022 high school valedictorians talking about? It's a fascinating subject. What are the brightest – the bright young things talking about these days what's on their mind especially those don't forget those graduating this year have just come through two years of pandemic where a lot of their final years of high school were under lockdown so it'll be interesting to find out what they have to say so lots to talk about tonight with Dave Breckenridge he's the managing editor of the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun and host of the Ten Three podcast Dave welcome back thanks so much thanks for having me
1: Ben glad to be here
0: well, I was, you know, I was on air last night when all of a sudden it was announced that Patrick Brown had been booted from the conservative leadership race. It was, uh, it was quite the surprise. What do you make of it all? <laughs> well, you talk <laughs>
1: about being on air and you know, I would have loved to have seen it happening all in real time last night. I was at a concert with my daughter That's right, and That's I right. came home. I, you know, I took my daughter to see Sean Mendes, you know, great nice. young entertainer, not my cup of tea, but, uh, a good time was had by all, but so I, I, go to the concert, I I go home, I go to bed, I wake up and I pick up my phone and I see Patrick Brown was disqualified. Oh my goodness. Um, I, you know, it was, I was surprised just by the whole, you know, it's been, it's been an odd leadership race for the, the conservatives. Um, Patrick Brown was seen as kind of being this maybe more centrist, younger you know we have Jean Charest who's, who's seen as a centrist conservative as well but he's kind of a, the old guard he's been around you know for <laughs> for decades for a, for in a while in Canadian for politics a while. And, and so you have yeah. you have this kind of young younger younger guy out there and just to see him kind of tossed out of the race for you know allegations that we still don't have the full details on um, I, I found that quite strange.
0: It is, yeah. I like to say that Jean Chretien Chir- was a politician when the Canadian when a Canadian team last won a Stanley Cup, you know. So that's uh, <laughs> it's it's been it's been it's been a while. I guess we'll find out. I mean, he has now. Uh, there's a lawyer's letter out tonight where he's announced his intention to appeal all this. So I guess it's going to get messy before it, before we see a settlement. I would imagine. Uh, do you think this does any damage to the party itself? Do you think Justin Trudeau's happy about it? I can't quite tell.
1: Well. I don't know if it's something that Justin Trudeau would be happy about. I mean, it it provides a distraction from anything his government may or may not be doing to help Canadians with inflation and a a sluggish economy. Um, It's that kind of summer distraction that maybe a a government may want. But I don't know in the long run if it's something that he'd be happy about because I think a lot of people feel like it's still Pierre Poiliev's race to lose um, and and having uh, Patrick Brown out of the race just makes it that much easier for him to to win the race in the fall and and so you know maybe it just puts more spotlight on on Mr. Poiliev and allows him to to really kind of to go after the the Trudeau government as opposed to having to worry about any of his contenders in
0: the CPC leadership race. I wondered when that uh, that news alert went out last night how many people looked down and said who? <laughs> but anyway, uh, I guess I don't know how many how many how much people are paying it. I mean, we pay attention to this stuff. I don't know how much people are paying attention to it overall. What they should be paying attention to, because I noticed this last week, a $3.9 billion surplus. Dave, that's, uh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of it's money. It's a problem we all want to have, right? No kidding. <laughs> so Alberta's in good you know, shape. Oil prices, thank you. Uh, now I guess the big question is what to do with it, because that's always well, the, yeah. the the billion dollar question, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, in preparation for the show, I was reminded of a, of a classic Simpsons episode where huckster Lyle Landley comes to sell Springfield on a on a monorail and, and he says, you know, a town with money is a lot like a mule with a spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it and darned if he knows what to do with it. And that's something that's a problem for governments anytime. I mean, in this case, we kind of know how the Alberta government got this surplus. It, it wasn't necessarily anything to do with uh good fiscal management on their part though i know they'd like to trumpet themselves as being good fiscal managers but admittedly even they've said that this is a lot to do with the the price of a barrel of oil right now and and as we all know alberta kind of lives and dies by the price of a west texas intermediate and 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 western canada select and so the alberta government is left with a position that a lot of governments would would envy but the question is, what do we do with it? Well, right now, a good chunk of that is going to go to help Albertans deal with rising energy bills. I, I believe we're, we're all getting a $50 a month rebate for the next six months. So that's $300 per uh, rate payer for the, to the tune of $600 million. And, and it's an interesting time because Alberta, just like the federal conservatives, the Alberta conservatives are in the middle of a leadership race. Right. And, you know, all of those can leadership contestants are debating what to do with that that money and i I mean when it comes down to it a lot of them are saying the same thing we need to pay down our debt we need to be fiscally responsible um one or two candidates who probably don't have a uh very strong hope of winning are saying we need to invest it in health and education right now but for the most part it's we need to save it like we need to do the prudent thing right now because lord knows when we'll get another oil boom out here again
0: yeah, no, that made sense. I was reading through some of those, obviously a lot of paying down the debt, which is an interesting way of approaching it. But but really, wouldn't it make sense right now to to invest some of it in education and healthcare and take care of some of those problems after the tough two years we've just had? I mean, it's it probably no. slightly fiscally It's better than buying a monorail, but uh, yes. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I know. We, we could all use a nice ride on a monorail. Um there, There is a point to be made. There, school boards have been have been crying poor for, for a couple years now, especially big city school boards, just due to the funding formula that kind of takes um, enrollment in aggregate over a number of years. So it kind of downplays how much big city school boards are growing. I know they're crying for money. Um, we have Edmonton's mayor who's really upset because, you know, we're about $400 million short on some affordable housing initiatives and this is the kind of thing that traditionally the province would take care of, and and they're not stepping forward to help out with, with that. And, and so I know that Edmonton's mayor and city council are upset. It is something that after a couple of years of hard times, whether it's school boards or hospitals or, or big cities and, and small towns, that I, I imagine that a lot of people could put some of that money to good use.
0: Tell me a bit about the $300 rebate that everyone's getting. Because, of course, in other provinces, such as where I am, we're not seeing anything like that in BC. Um, How is it being received? And is it being seen? I mean, clearly getting a check is not a bad thing. Uh, But is it seen as, as being a wise thing to do? Is it working, in other words?
1: I... I'm sure Albertans are, are generally happy about it. I know there's been some frustration, and I know that the the opposition NDP have have kicked up a bit of a fuss about the fact that it's taken the government months to to roll out the details of the initial three month rebate. The, initially, we were going to give they were going to give a rebate rebate of fifty dollars a month on people's gas bills, and it would just show up on the bill. It's not like we're getting Ralph Bucks, like uh, former Alberta Premier Ralph Klein, handed out four hundred dollar checks to everybody back in the day that was fun uh, as a young adult to get a nice government check for no reason but so this is going to show up on people's bills and hey I'm I'm not complaining my my home heating and and power bills have have gone up quite a bit this year and you know I have teenagers that that like to leave lights and TVs on and that's a struggle in my house um, <laughs> so it's it feels like a losing battle at times and and so it, it's a positive thing but yeah the, the government has, up until recent weeks, you know, the government was short on details and, and long on promises. And I, I think that it, it left the door open for a valid criticism from the, the NDP opposition to say, hey, you're talking a good game, but where is this relief for Albertans? Well, finally, we're getting, it's supposed to start on the July bill um, and run through the end of the year. And it was just announced today that it was extended from three months to six months. So instead of, instead of $150 of relief, we're getting $300, which in the grand scheme of things may not seem like a lot. But just like with the, the tax at the, at the gas pumps, the Alberta government waived that provincial tax when the price of oil uh, skyrocketed and we started seeing record high gasoline prices. I think at the end of the day, it's something that Albertans might say, hey, thanks. Thanks for that, because we're really hurting right now, just like elsewhere.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and certainly with with that kind of surplus, uh, it makes it all the less controversial, I would imagine that uh, mm-hmm. you, you did this really, uh, we'll talk about this after the break, but you do this really fascinating feature. I gather you edit the feature about the valedictorians. I was reading, trying to read most of them today. Um, but I wanted to, uh, let's talk about what the 2022 valedictorians in Edmonton, obviously, this is a small sample size, but I thought a very good one of uh, just what the young and the brightest and uh, the brightest of the bunch are thinking about these days. And we'll get to that after this. Dave Breckenridge is my guest this half hour, the managing editor of the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun, host of the 10.3 podcast. Verve fan, if I'm not mistaken, uh, if I was reading that Correct. right last night. <laughs> there you go. Thought we'd we'd play one for you there. This is, you know, I, I didn't know about the valedictorian section that you uh, that you take care of. And it, it was fascinating to read them all. First of all, the first thing you're struck is, is what, what, did, what did I do in high school? Because I don't think I did <laughs> a third of what most of uh, these young folks had done. But uh, what were you? where does the product is it a, something you do every year yeah
1: it's something that we've done every year you know i've been with the edmonton newsroom for eight years going on uh, going on eight years this year and it's something that it was a feature in the edmonton examiner newspaper which is one of our newspapers and we moved it over to the edmonton sun a couple of years ago and yeah it's a. I mean it's a way to highlight the accomplishments of, of young people in the community which is something that that Local newspapers, I, I feel, still have a role to do, and so it's a it's a it's a feature that I I always love editing because it, you know, it reminds me of the things that I didn't accomplish when I was younger. Um, but
0: d- d- <laughs> d- 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 <laughs> you know,
1: it, it it it's it's always it's always neat to kind of see how matured these these young people are, you know. We, we assume as as adults, and, I've you know, I've grown up to become a curmudgeonly uh, 40-something, um, <laughs> that the kids aren't always all right or they don't know what they're talking about. And, and to read some of the submissions, you know, what we ask from these schools is a bit of a bio about, you know, their accomplishments in school, what their educational goals are. We ask them for uh, a little snippet from their... Valedictory address, and then we we asked them some just some general Q and A's. And in the past, they've been kind of lighter questions, but you know, as you, as you mentioned, that the last couple of years have been very tumultuous for all of us. You know, not not just adults though; young people have had to deal with the challenges of a pandemic and learning online and and limited peer interaction and all of that. So I was curious what what it was like for them or, or how they felt about the last couple of years. And so we 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 keyed in on some of those with some of the questions I asked them, uh, how do you think the pandemic changed your high school experience? And what is the one takeaway you feel should come out of the upheaval for the last two years? And I have to say they're like, the answers that we got were, were hugely insightful. And I feel very wise and and showed, um, a maturity in in these kids that I, 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 I was very impressed by.
0: Yeah, I was reading through some of them. Not take anything for granted. Uh, anything can change. Less is more. I mean, there was some really interesting... They, they were very introspective, I think, is what struck me about them. They were very sort of wise. Mm-hmm. And, you know,
1: there are some that I, that I found really interesting because you see, you know, there's there's an, a stereotype about young people that they're very self-centered and these kids spend all their time on their phones and social media and they're taking, you know selfies and pictures of food and I'm you know I'm rattling off a bunch of clichés here but you know we get answers from from young people you know the one takeaway this this valedictorian from ross Shepherd High School Sebastian Agia he his big takeaway is that we're stronger as a community we were faced with adversity and it was a sense of coming together that got us through it and it's amazing how even with isolation and physical distance we were able to connect on a shared experience and become united and it may sound cliche and, and admittedly, you know, <laughs> sometimes young people speak in cliches because they don't necessarily have the life experience. But it, it's those kind of messages that give me a lot of hope for, for young people to, that, that that's what they're taking away from something that's caused a lot of upheaval and a lot of polarization and divisiveness in society that they see an opportunity there for people to come together.
0: It was certainly made for upbeat reading. I mean, it was it was introspective, and there was a lot of it sort of about you know the struggles of the last few years. But there was certainly lots of hope sprinkled in to all the introspection as well, which was which was enlightening and fascinating to read. I found.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would hope, and I I I seem to recall that that. I, there were moments of, of optimism when I was leaving high school and going into university. I, I consider myself to be a cynical person at times, but I would like to think that I, I was hopeful and optimistic for the future. And, and that's something that we that we want to see from people. I've made really trying times. We're you know we're still dealing with a pandemic. You know I, we see stories constantly about um, what Omicron is going to do and whether we're going to have to get boosters every nine months. And now there's uh a new a new virus that's circulating you know i don't know if we've gotten away from calling it monkey yet or if the who is giving it a different name but that's creating uneasiness there's war in europe there's um it, divisiveness Shootings in our in politics States. and and and, yeah. and the fact that you have these these young people who are who are bringing a positive message and saying like we can work together and get through anything and i'm really optimistic for the future and i'm glad to hear that 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 refreshes me it makes me feel feel good about where where our young people are at and and what our future leaders may be thinking.
0: I also noticed that quite a few of them were planning careers in in the medical field, which is which is more than welcome these days. We're watching, we read so much about how much stress the system is under. New recruits will be. Uh, I wonder if the pandemic has made a difference in that sense that more more kids are looking towards uh, healthcare as as an option. Ironically, I, I mean, I, I I hope so.
1: I. <laughs> I can I can see it, it, it like young people who are in med school and who have been doing you know internships and and rotations and and through the pandemic and think oh I don't want to do this I want to get out, but on the flip side I can I can see especially you know academically minded kids who have spent the last three years really focused on their learning thinking that you know this is this is something great like these are the people who we've held up as heroes at least you know at least early on in the pandemic some people have tried to villainize uh the medical profession in in the last few months but it's it is you know heartening to see people want to take on these very intensive very challenging careers that you know would that i guess the phrasing i'm looking for i I guess is just you know these are the people that we need to step into these roles in the future because a whole generation of doctors may be burnt out after the last two years
0: yeah, that's what I was thinking while reading it. Uh, a trick last question for you, because I asked it off the top of the show. It's National Fried Chicken Day. If I were to go to Edmonton in th- less than 15 seconds, where should I go get fried chicken, Dave?
1: Oh, there's two schools of thought on that. I'll be really quick. If you want traditional yeah. Southern fried chicken, everyone says Northern chicken on the North side. If you want a twist, yep. Soul fried chicken has some of the tastiest, crispiest uh, chicken I've ever had. It's my
0: favorite fried chicken place in town. Soul fried. Dave Rickinridge, thank you so much for your time tonight.